Nick Cage is playing a whole different game. He's not just trying to pin you, he's not just trying to submit you. He's trying to cut your tongue out. He's trying to pull your eyeball out. He's trying to make you bleed until you pass out. For me, the more dangerous the game gets, the more intense the game gets, the more risky the game gets, the more my health, my future, could potentially be on the line, the game is more fun for me. Hello and welcome to episode one of Eagles Don't Hunt Flies, a podcast looking at the life and career of one John Moxley. And I'm your host, Martin Bushby. For those that don't recognize my voice, I used to present the British Wrestling Experience and Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com. And joining me on this trip, you'll know him from his awesome graphics work and video work and his appearances on the Poison Rana shows. It's the one-man Brisbane Combat Club. It's Dickie Bird. Dickie, how's it going, mate? Uh, Martin, it's very good. It's eight o'clock in the morning here. The sun is shining. My son is not crying in the background yet. Uh, so, uh, things, things, things are good. Things are good. Excellent. Thanks for joining me on this journey. And, uh, it wouldn't be complete without the, uh, the third person here. You'll know him from his, uh, many appearances calling to post wrestling. It's the man of a thousand paper plates. The one and only Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, how are you, mate? A thousand paper plates. How, how are you? I'm good. How are, uh, it feels good to be here. Uh, happy that, uh, you, <laughs> you set the bat signal for us to, uh, do this uh, podcast with you. It's, it's, it's incredible. Love it. The vibes are immaculate. Such a great subject for a podcast. I've been considering doing this for a while since I sort of gave up doing the British wrestling experience. And, you know, he's had such a wide, varied career. You know, he's been in promotions all over the world, involved in some great matches, angles and moments. And for me, one of the best promos in wrestling. I think there's like tons we can get into get get into it. Uh, yeah, he's also done a lot of shit too, which is always <laughs> fun to talk about. Uh, in in all seriousness, I mean, the, the the we can kind of at this point look back and say, you know, it's more positive than negative. But you know, there's there's all that other stuff too that I I really can't wait to talk about gas masks. Uh, shots in the ass, uh, Nia Jax, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar matches. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Because we aren't going to be looking at his career in order. We're going to be sort of like picking matches, feuds, events, you know, moments from his career and doing deep dives on them on each episode. Um, obviously, a huge thanks to Davey and Braden for bringing us on board the Poison Rana Network. Really appreciate that. But, um, Brandon, when did Mox sort of first come on your radar? Were you checking out some of these early CZW matches? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so when I was off my sabbatical of pro wrestling in the early mid aughts, uh, CCW was uh, popping off in South Jersey, and uh, <laughs> my brother on a whim said, I, "I don't remember the date exactly, but he was like, we should go to the Hollydale Ice Arena and." <laughs> Watch this CZW show, and uh, we took we went and Mox uh, a young uh, a young John Moxley was on that show. Uh, it was pretty hilarious looking back and looking at the uh, the cage match uh, 
deal and seeing that we were at that show. So, uh, yeah, ever since then, I followed his arc. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a hell of a roller coaster ride for that guy. Yeah, because you used to go to some ECW shows, didn't you? And they were sort of like, CZW were like kind of like the natural progression from ECW when they folded, weren't they? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, there was a void in the uh, hardcore death matches when ECW <laughs> folded and uh, WWE didn't want to pick up the option of uh, of doing that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, just, uh, Dan, Mr. Danzig uh, came up with the idea of CCW and... Uh, and her, it, it filled the void in South Jersey and uh, the Northeast and, and whatnot. What about you, Dickie? Sort of like over there in Zealand, when were you sort of like getting into sort of like mocks? Was it more WWE or had you checked him out before that? Look, I mean, I was I was a, a wrestling kid, as I'm sure you guys were. Um, and I really fell off, you know, once WCW closed and WWE took them over. I thought it was going to be amazing and it kind of <clears throat> fell flat for me. And around about that time, I was just started getting interested in other things, mainly girls. And uh, I stopped watching wrestling <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't come back to it until the WWE network uh, came to Australia where I was now living in 2015 um and i signed so the up girls the disappeared network. by that point when the the, the, oh yeah <laughs> the, well well they disappeared quickly after i became interested in them um <laughs> but you know i i went down the nostalgia trip when the network came about and you know wanted to watch the old wcw pay-per-views and and then of course they they sucked me right back in saying you know oh, the royal rumble is you know this this coming you know, Sunday or Monday, my time. And, uh, it was a public holiday. So I thought I'd, I'd watch it. And then, um, and then, yeah, so I, I got hooked into it, but that, that was the, the Royal Rumble before, uh, WrestleMania 31 at Levi Stadium. So man, the shield had already broken up. This, this is literally when I got back into wow. things. It hasn't even been 10 years. It feels like it's been 30 years, by the way, since I have started watching wrestling again, but it hasn't even been 10. Um, so I, you know, I missed all of that stuff. I only knew John Moxley as the wacky lunatic fringe <laughs> and the truth is, while some people might listen to that and think, oh, God, this guy didn't even, you know, experience all that stuff, I think I have a unique perspective because I did not think this man was going to uh, do anything when he left WWE because, you know, I really only saw him decline from mm -hmm. the moment I saw him. Um, and you know, the, my experience of his rebirth was uh, by complete surprise. Now, obviously since then, um, I didn't just get back into wrestling. I was consumed by it. So since then I have gone back and, and watched a lot of stuff and am familiar with stuff, but I also really want to do this podcast because I'm going to be introduced to things that I have never seen. Um, you know, and, and look, I'll, I'll be honest. I made the, the hype video for, for the show. Uh, I included a lot of stuff that you said that we, we, we will cover over the months and 
probably years. And one of the things on there was team the team hell no versus the shield. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll include that. I'll I'll include that in the video. So like I looked it up and stuff, and I'm like, okay. So Team Hell No appeared to be at least in its I know Team Hell No was Daniel Bryan and Kane, but of course it's a it's against the shield, which is three people. So who's the third person? So the first oh it's the Undertaker. Okay. And and then I keep looking down, you know, just in the YouTube list after I type that in, and it's like, wait, hold on. Daniel Bryan, Kane, and Ryback? And then <laughs> and then it's just and then there's like these other things, and I just I had I couldn't include it in the video because I just like didn't know what the fuck was Team Hell No sort of thing. So I'm really interested to go back and and learn about those things, even if I didn't personally relive them. And maybe I'll have a a, a fresh perspective as opposed to uh, the likes of you guys who who may have seen it at the time. See, that's wild to me, that, because it was always when The Shield first came into WWE based on sort of like Mox's stuff in on the indies and stuff in FCW, that he was always going to be the breakout star. And towards the end of his run in WWE, everyone kind of felt like he'd been misused. So when he did break out, there seemed to be this like, oh, you know, we're going to get sort of like proper what he should have been you know john moxley's gonna sort of shine again so it's absolutely wild here in that like you know you thought he was gonna do fuck all once he left wwe (laughs) i thought he was gonna break out when he was in the shield too because like that dude's character before he got to wwe was is incredible like he's super ultra violent dude and he had all he he looked fluid in the ring and stuff like that i thought he was gonna generally pop off especially when when he won his first title but then he went through the mud and uh, he had to pop up and uh, pop off in the AW to, for him to be a, uh, who he is now. Yeah, because for me, I had seen some of his sort of like Caesar W work, but when I really started to properly notice him was sort of like when he was trying to get a match going with Foley when he was still in FCW and tweeting out stuff to Foley, you know, a match that we sadly never got. And it's sort of weird thinking back now that um, Moxley was using Twitter of all things to try and get an angle going with Mick Foley because he'd sort of really stay away from that sort of stuff now. But I suppose anyway, should we get on to uh, our first episode? Because um, for episode one, we're going to be taking a look back at his rivalry with uh, Nick Gage. This is must be one of his longest rivals going back um, over 10 years. Um, we're going to be talking three of their matches together, one from 2010 and then two of the more recent ones from GCW. So going way back to 2010 and obviously Mox is a few years into the business here and start to really make a name for himself like we've just been talking about there and as one of the big names on on the US Indies and it's it's funny because as much as he might get a name for being a deathmatch guy especially going into FCW and, and WWE's early career actually in sort of like HWA he, he was just having straight up wrestling matches it's really until he starts with CZW in 2009 and tagging with Sammy Callahan, going single as a bunch of death matches with not only Nick Gage. Switchblade but, conspiracy. Well, yeah, exactly. And a, a tag team that's come back recently. But, you know, mm-hmm. also Egotistico Fantastico, you know, that's a name that I'm sure everyone remembers fondly among among others. But um first match we're going to talk about is um, a three-way. John Moxley against Nick Gage against Drake Younger um, from... CZW Southern Violence from the 8th of August 2010 and um, going into this one 
Mox has held uh, the CZW Heavyweight Championship since February after beating B-Boy at the 11th anniversary. Um, this is the uh, first of his two title reigns. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, Brandon was talking then about sort of like CZW taking over the mantle of ECW. But I mean, come 2010, they're really on a downtrend business-wise. I mean, they had some hot years in the early to mid-noughties with John Zandig booking big events like Cage of Death, Tournament of Death, Best of the Best. They sort of get notoriety around the world. But once Zandig leaves and sells to DJI in 2009, it's a different story. We sort of get crowds start to dwindle outside of their big events like Tournament of Death. They try moving out of the bases of New Jersey and Delaware with not much success as we uh, are going to see in this match. Um, I just had to read this out because a friend of the show, Shane Silver, sent me this doozy about CZW at the time. Uh, this is from their October the 16th, 2010 Deja Vu 5 event. So this is the review of the show. CZW failed to produce a PA system for the show, which resulted in Larry Legend shouting introductions to the 70 or so fans in attendance. Entrance music was played on the CD player located in the, contest, in the concession stand and was barely audible. The encrypted title of the Deja View DVD is Success, which was DJ Hyde's way of spelling the word success. So I think by that uh, <laughs> by that review of the show, I think you can tell you what sort of like way business was for uh, CZW at the time. As much as I've said that, they might not have been as hot as they once were, but they were still putting on good matches like this one, you know, and I've said before, like Mox, has a lot of matches with Gage around this time. You know, I think, um, did you guys catch the um, episode of Dark Side of the Ring, the Nick Gage ones? Because he actually brings up about the pizza cutter being brought into the first match he had with Gage and him actually cutting Moxley's tongue and his mouth open. Oh, yeah, I remember fake. Oh, that's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll obviously use that to great effect when they start having their matches in GCW, you know, because obviously uh, that was around the time that um, they aired that episode of uh dark side of the ring but it's also around this time obviously we've talked about Mox in ring but that's becoming known as a, as a real killer promo we think everyone knows him for now i mean go back on youtube there's a bunch of his pro promos from ipw wxw czw known for their intensity and different to what other people were doing at the time Just, geez. dude come out i was glad the camera guy came i was looking for you I wanted to get some stuff off my chest. I'm gonna hold this because I like to hold it when I'm talking because it makes me feel good, you know, being, you know, super, you know, mega star, sexy world champ that I am. Uh, big uh, three way dance coming up. You know, it's marked down. Myself, Egotistico, Fantastico, and Nick Gage. Nicky weasels his way into this thing. He pinned me in a non title match. Good for him, you know, because it's not like I let him do it or anything, right? Right? Now, uh, Egotistico doesn't get his one-on-one -on -one shot that he probably doesn't deserve anyway. I'm not stupid. I know I'm going to have to wrestle Egotistico Fantastico. I actually look forward to it. I know I'm going to have to wrestle Nick Gages and Chris Heroes and Drake Youngers and Eddie Kingston. I look forward to embarrassing them all and sending them all home packing. I'm just screwing with everybody. Because right? we'll do it when I say. Because I'm a god, all right? I'm more than just a wrestler. I'm more than just a star. I am a god. I want you to look at what I'm wearing right now. Pan that down. Look at this. Right next to the CW World Title. When they gave the blood all over it. This is a fanny pack, alright? You could never wear a fanny pack and get away with it. Do you understand me? I am a god. 
I wear the fanny pack like it's a thunderbolt from freaking Zeus or something. I don't even know. I don't have to make sense because I'm the world champion. So I'll see you guys in a few weeks. You guys can't even... How are you going to get along? How are you going to get along? How are either of you guys going to pin me? Good luck. Good luck. Really good work, but still raw for me, and I think he definitely benefited from his time in um, FCW. I mean, Dickie, have you ever had a chance to check out any of sort of like Mox's promos from around this time? Yeah, I did just in actually making the, the video for this. Um, I, I, To be honest, though, I, I, I can't say that I really uh, remember too much i would have to to kind of go back but mm. you know that's going to be one of those things that i'm i'm really looking forward to to uh to watching for uh for this particular show i picked this three way match cuz it's one of the best mox matches against gage but also he had a long rival with, with drake younger going back to sort of like insanity pro wrestling and also here in CZW. Obviously, the issue is going to be going back and doing these retro reviews. You are going to run into some uh, problem people. Um, you know, obviously, Drake let go from WWE for making questionable statements, let's say, about mask mandates, allegedly using his WWE email to coordinate activities for queuing on adjacent Operation Underground Railroad and, you know, having all sorts of questionable opinions, Brandon. Yeah, Drake Younger or Drake Works or. Uh... The, the lizard king, as he is called, uh, whatever he is, he, he has he has some strong opinions. <laughs> I kind of kind of felt weird today watching this match uh, while while I'm getting my COVID shot. <laughs> I wonder what Drake Young would, be, <laughs> would, would think of me when I when I'm getting the jab. Uh, would he call me a libtard? Brandon, he, yeah. What what is Underground Railroad, Brandon? I mean, it's it's the the kidnapping. I mean, the the kidnapping, the 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 the, the recouping of, of stolen children from the the Democrats. Oh right, sorry, I do know what it is. I watched the UFC, I guess. So yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with this. <laughs> and one more thing. And one more thing. <laughs> that's our, that's my favorite new bit in, in MMA now. Everyone's got something to say about saving the children. And one more thing. Nobody cuts them off either. Freedom of speech, you gotta love it. But anyway, yeah, he, he's a uh, he, he's he, Drake Younger. Uh, uh, he's got some uh, opinions, and uh, <laughs> but you know what? This match was was really really good. I mean, uh, Drake Younger had his working shoes on in this match. I mean, especially, but he also had his and one mixtape uh, <laughs> shorts as well. Uh, he, he looked like the professor uh, <laughs> dribbling uh, <laughs> between his legs, <laughs> diving. Uh, on Nick Gage and whatnot. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, for, for his faults and he's got many, uh, he really worked on this match. <laughs> yeah, he does. Have, he does have many faults. I mean, but that's the issue. You can't write him out of Mox's history. Cause you know, they had so many great matches together and some of the early ones, I think were responsible for getting Mox seen by sort of a wider audience. We all fall down. But he, he seems to not want to get up again. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he running for office somewhere or something or uh, I don't know. Well, he was. A, I think that was toted for a while, wasn't it? In, 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 uh, sort of running for some kind of political office, I think. Yeah, in Florida, <laughs> all places too. Yeah. Oh, right. So yeah, CZW Southern Violence on the eighth of August, two thousand and ten, in North Carolina. Brandon, have you ever been to North Carolina? Oh yeah, my uh, my brother. Uh, we used to visit him. He was stationed in uh, Camp. Lug- no, that's South Carolina. Um, 
anyway, we, we used to visit him out there. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's good atmosphere in North Carolina. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, wide open spaces and uh, <laughs> southern hospitality. Not for not for us Hispanics, but uh, <laughs> are you able to explain to me what um, the commentary team meant by that they didn't the the people of Lumberton, North Carolina, uh, weren't fans of or wouldn't want to be called lumberjacks, the the type of individuals that they pass through and were lucky to get out alive. I didn't I didn't understand what they meant by by no, this. No, neither did I. Well I, I in that part of Lumberton, North Carolina, it's a it's a heavy logging industry, so I guess they didn't want to be uh <laughs> I guess they didn't want to be typecasted as as lumberjack. I get the feeling that's not what they meant, but anyway, we'll we we won't be able to figure this out, so we will just move on. One other Sorry, fun Brandon. fact about North Carolina: a lot of lot of drive driving uh, wash. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, strip clubs, uh, drive through strip clubs. They're great and liquor. <laughs> Sorry, I just I update my notes. Hold on. When you next go to North Carolina, yeah. When you yeah, when you do your exactly. Anthony Bourdain and you visit North Carolina, go to the drive drive through strip clubs. Well, uh, I imagine where that's the, where the majority of this audience was going after this uh, wrestling event. Um, I, I was looking at the um, the official attendance for the show was uh, fifty two people. I don't I mean, believe what's, that. <laughs> what's the I venue here? Is a a barn or a fairground? What is it? I mean, it's absolutely massive. To say the crowd's fifty-two and there's tons of chairs set up here, isn't there? Like a pole barn or, or a secret society. It's decided to hold the wrestling match. <laughs> we got to call Robeson County Robeson County Fairgrounds, I believe. There you go, says. fairground. We got to call Brandon Thurston. I think they're lying about the numbers. Um, Moxley Moxley says in his book fifty, so uh, there must have been a drop a drop count of two. um, Bought a ticket, two people bought tickets and didn't actually turn up. I guess it's definitely when they were rolling on the outside, a bunch of people who just turned up because they'd heard wrestling was on, but didn't want to buy a ticket, so they just hung around outside to see if they were going to like do any brawling or whatever. Well, Well, they probably got the best part of the match. Then that was smart thing from them. Exactly. So on commentary, we've got uh, Danny Havoc and Greg Excellent. And uh, yeah, the match starts. Mox comes out mocking these farmers with a piece of straw in his mouth and uh, some kind of straw hat. The fans instantly chant, fuck you at him. And they go at it immediately. Me too. I took offense to this (laughs) as well, Martin. Being a oh yeah, I forgot. Now. now you're uh, now you're a farm boy over there in Australia. Yeah, I can imagine that you yeah. did take it, take offense. You mean you're not out there every morning with your uh, straw hat on and your um and the grass? I've, I've already the been out there this morning. Turned off the sprinklers that were on all night to to you know replenish my fields and and all. Anyway, we'll move on. We'll get the farm chat grass. at the end, right? Just grass for the horses. <laughs> it's nothing, nothing special. So the three guy immediately. Action goes to the outside where Younger whips Gage into the crowd and a bunch of chairs. Back in the ring, Younger smashes a light tube over Mox before Death Valley driving him onto a bunch more light tubes. The light tube count in this match is very, very high. Gage back in, misses an elbow drop and crashes into a light tube. Mox then uses some of the broken glass on Gage's forehead and we've got our first blood of the match because, of course, two minutes into the match and someone's bleeding already. 
I love I love the light tube strikes and the air and the air horn goes off like we're at a, a reggaeton concert. <laughs> I know when some kids got a whistle that's going like because as much as the next oh, yeah. match we're going to talk to has got a ten times bigger crowd, I kind of feel like they were a bit louder in this one. Say there's only fifty two of them because, like you say, they've got their air horns, their whistles. You know, everyone seems to be uh, well up for it, and especially in that huge building, you know the the sounds echoing around. So as much as there was hardly anyone there, you know they made quite a lot of noise. I was disappointed there was no Boo Boo's Ailers there. I was bummed out about that. Well, perhaps they'd not made it to North Carolina by 2010, who knows? But... <laughs> so on the floor, Gage breaks a light tube over Younger's head and then throws a chair at Moxley. Younger murders Gage with about seven barely protected chair shots here. I mean, it's always wince-inducing to see these things, isn't it? You know, now we know all the things about concussions and chair shots and and what have you, you know, it's never it, it's never pleasant to see these things in a match. I don't think there's no concussion protocol in uh, CZW and in North Carolina. <laughs> I you don't mean think tell me they didn't they didn't have a doctor waiting in a truck outside of this uh, fairground. <laughs> I don't think the doctor from the movie Concussion is going to be available to uh, help help these young grapplers with their scrambled egg brains after the unprotected chair shot. No, I don't think he was. Uh, Moxley then breaks another light tube over Younger's back, locks in a figure four because, of course. We're in Ric Flair country, so we had to have a uh, a figure four in this, um, you know, <laughs> false count anyway death match. Because <laughs> anyone was going to win by submission, weren't they? Uh, Younger breaks that up, throws Moxley into the arena wall. Younger's back. I mean, we're what, sort of like five or six minutes into this, and he's absolutely a bloody mess. It's absolutely disgusting at this point. He then applies a sharpshooter, another submission move on Moxley, but Gage breaks it with a light tube shot to Younger's back because... Younger's back is getting even more and more messed up at this point. Mox takes a beer can to the head, and then the three of them start brawling outside of the venue, where even more people suddenly appear from fields out of the darkness. Don't know where they come from. <laughs> uh, Younger pushes Moxley off the back of a pickup truck. Then they enter what seems to be some kind of a picnic area, I think. Um, <laughs> this is brilliant. Oh, no, this is just this random picnic area. Gage backdrops Younger onto a picnic table, oh my which looks God. more indestructible than those New Japan indestructible tables. But th- this was this was amazing because his because of Younger's back, oh. the the <laughs> the blood. I oh. guess you would call it like blood splatter. I guess that imprinted on this table afterwards and they did a nice little zoom in mixed yeah. with like gross wood and stuff like that. And I was just like that. I mean, that's, you almost, you almost figured that was designed like that. It's like, well, if your back's all messed up like that, then we better do a backdrop on something that's going to leave a mark. But you know what's real fucked up too? They probably didn't even wash that off. So oh. some poor cunt the next day turned up to have a picnic. You don't think they power washed that table? (laughs) What do you think? They got the fuck out of there after this. It honestly looked like there were like chunks of flesh in there. That's what I was going to say. Yes. You're giving them too much credit. That looked like flesh, not wood chunks. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's it's too. Look, the the quality wasn't uh, perfect on this. So, yeah, it did just look like. um, a pizza topping, but that again could have just been the the quality of this. 
what I also love here is that Mox stretches gauge between sort of like a metal pole that's in between the uh, picnic tables um, and Gage is selling it. But then some fan says something to it and he instantly just stops selling it and turns around and tells the fans to fuck off, then goes back to selling whatever Mox is doing to him, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Um, then Moxley connects with some vicious headbutts on Gage. Younger then runs across the picnic tables and lands a dive on him, which looks pretty cool. Moxley mm-hmm. and Younger exchange some quick pin attempts on the grass, which is also hilarious. I think, like, Younger's trying to do some ridiculous sort of, like, roll-ups on Moxley, which uh, Gage is breaking up by just basically spearing the referee and throwing him away. Yeah, he's, he's just knocking referees out to stop the count each time. It's like... They end up in the um, car park here, and... Um, the fan seems to like run over to his truck and start pulling all these weapons out of it. I don't know if he was involved with the promotion or what, but he's got like a barbed wire bat. And then he hands Moxley a uh, a guitar, which he levels younger with, and it doesn't break. In fact, it makes quite a uh, ridiculous sound off uh, off younger's head. So yeah, it sounded like El Cabong when he hits uh, when he hits his uh, enemies with the guitar. Cabong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe it was at this point that we saw Drake Younger turn or at least begin the turn into what he is now. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, it's not often that you actually get to see CTE uh, inflicted on another person like this, but here we are many years later. And I'd say that this caused most of uh, Younger's antics later on. Let me ask yeah. you this though. Let me ask you guys this. Is it a slow heel turn or a face turn? Because depending on where you're at in the country, he uh, could be a face. You live in that style. country. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you decide that. Why? Why are you blaming me? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> well, yeah, he definitely didn't get that guitar from Jeff Jarrett, that's for sure. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. like I said, he, he looked like he brought a, a truck full of weapons and Moxley was just like, no, mate, put them back in your truck. I'll take the guitar and that's it. But um, <laughs> then the rest of the uh, they brawl further into the parking lot and uh, Younger finds a minivan and opens it up because all these cars are apparently open in this uh, in this car park. Uh, a lot of trust in this community. Oh, yeah. This logging community. And uh, slams the car door onto Mox's head. They then work their way back into the building. Fans chanting, this is awesome. Gage is back in there, light tubes for everybody. Mox and Drake brawl on some kind of white plastic staging. I don't know if they use this for weddings or what, but it was like some sort of like covered in plastic, white plastic staging. I was like, oh my God, CZW haven't set that up. That is definitely there for the venue and they're about to cover this thing in uh, Drake Younger's uh, back blood. Mox eats another light tube. Gage sort of enters in with a roll of barbed wire and runs it across yes. Mox's face. That was, uh, that was enough, brilliant. Was the biggest roll of barbed wire you've ever seen. You covered, <laughs> could have covered like a whole field of fences with this thing. <laughs> Again, it like it's school. something they would have just found like, <laughs> like just in the back. I don't think they brought this here. They're just like, oh, there's a roll of barbed wire. Of course, yeah. it's fairground. Why not? <laughs> All three are just caked in blood at this point. Younger takes Gage and whips him into what passes as the... Uh, I love how the commentary was like, oh my God, he's getting whipped in the concession stand, which was basically a couple of coolers behind the table. Uh. <laughs> well, my, this was my favourite bit because he gets whipped into and he's into this concession stand and he's on it 
and then it's almost like he thinks like gage thinks that there's like items under him or something and he sells his back and falls off and it's just napkins Nick Gage just sold for a bunch of napkins the deadly napkins why not (laughs) i mean i guess so but yeah there was just like the concession stand was like some like I think there was a uh, uh, ketchup and and mustard and some bread rolls on there. So it reminds me of the um, street fight between the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat from uh, Spring Stampede '94. I want to say that was all mustard and ketchup. And uh, anyway, so in the the back in the ring, younger obviously gets the staple gun out. You know this is a staple of death matches. He uh, gets some paper, staples that to Gage's head, and then a dollar bill to the side of Gage's face. Um, the dollar bill doesn't stay on for very long and uh, Gage pockets it because, of course, he does, you know, every <laughs> dollar the funniest thing I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that until the second time that I watched this match. It just puts it in its pocket. But look, I always thought, and it, it may be the case nowadays, that the whole staple gun gimmick thing is is gimmicked. Like, there's not actually any staples in there. They just, I don't know whether there's some adhesive on the back of the piece of paper that they're going to staple and they just make the clicking sound or whatever. Uh, this was legit. Uh, yeah. You saw the staple in his head. After he ripped the paper off, it is in there. And that made me feel all sorts of ways uh, about this match. Yeah, this definitely wasn't Jimmy Havoc sort of like running a piece of paper over his tongue or anything like that yeah, yeah. These, these were legit sort of okay. like uh Great. staples there for sure so we're so just for people listening we've mentioned obviously drake younger and now jimmy havoc all right yeah continue. <laughs> what did he do wrong oh let's let's just move on <laughs> let's move on let's move on so after Gage pockets the bill he responds by overhead suplexing um uh, younger in some light tubes Gage then sets up a table and lays younger across it, but the table inevitably gives way. I was like, why didn't you just go outside and get one of those picnic tables? That would have been perfect for uh, this movie we're setting up. But alas, he had, uh, you know, the worst table in the world for this one. Um, he goes to the top, sent on younger through what's left of the table. And <laughs> one of the funniest bits of the match now, we see Moxley dragging himself like he's in The Walking Dead across the floor here. I mean, the camera just lingers on him for ages as he's you know trying to make this superhuman comeback um over the floor and um he does it, you know they linger on him for so long he's dragging himself across the floor he's laid across some chairs and then all of a sudden he's back in the ring legs out younger with an ace crusher on some light tubes gauge and spikes moxley with a pile driver and gets the one two three to become the new caesar w world heavyweight champion and i've got to say guys I absolutely love this match. I mean, obviously, your mileage is going to vary depending on how much you like deathmatch-style wrestling, but you get everything in here. Tons of blood, all the stunts. The spots actually get hit, because obviously you don't get that a lot in deathmatches, do you? You know, there's always a lot of rickety spots. And other than the sort of, like, table collapsing on Gage and Younger, you know, they actually, you know, pulled everything off, you know. I kind of feel like it's a mix of that old Southern-style brawling mixed with a lot of light tubes, some wacky and hilarious stuff involving picnic tables, vans. You two guys, I mean, go for you, Brandon, first. Are you a fan of deathmatches, and when you a fan of this one? I mean... Like Cactus Jack and stuff like that, I thought he he was awesome in, in his death matches, FMW and stuff like that. But I mean, it wasn't really my cut of tea, cup of tea. But 
I mean, watching this match, I, I thought I thought it was dope. I mean, I, I I'll, I'm down to go to a show, like for to to just to go. It's an event, and you'll see crazy shit and whatnot, and it won't it won't bother me none. I'll bring a raincoat if if, I'm, if it's raining blood and whatnot. But uh, no, this I thought this match was dope. Uh, it had everything, like you said, like it had it had the the sensationalism, it had zombies, it had uh, busted up uh, tables, spools of. Uh, a barbed wire. It had it had it all. If everyone everyone got the, what they wanted, if, if you got technical wrestling, you got uh, <laughs> you got guys beating the shit out of each other. I, th- I thought it was dope. I thought you know I, I said earlier Drake Younger for all his faults, and there are many. Uh, he really uh, <laughs> he really did a bang up job with with the with him and Moxley and, and Gage. It, it was very entertaining. Yeah, I agree with you. Most usually these matches are better off live, aren't they? And they sort of lose something when you're watching them sort of like on video on demand or a few years later. But this one definitely worked for me, Dickie. Look, I thought this was probably one of the best death matches that I've ever seen. And am I a fan of death wow. matches? Not, not really, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what makes a good death match for me. And that's creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, in all honesty, just, and we'll probably discuss that later in these other two matches, but, you know, if it's just pizza cutter, light tubes, you know, blood, and there's, I don't know, not something, not necessarily new, but different than, you know, I'm all in. Well, this match, the creativity in this match was through the roof. And you could tell that these guys just went, oh, we'll just brawl out the back. And I I don't really know how much was planned or discussed, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was just on the fly. Oh, I see Mm. something. Oh, I'm just going to do this. And I'm just going to do that. You know, Drake Younger running off those picnic tables to do the big splash, you know, just, I thought that they really nailed it. Um, and even from a three-way perspective, I was a little bit skeptical at the start because they did the old trope of like right at the start, someone would get laid out and then it was basically just yeah. a one-on-one kind of thing. But then once they left the ring and they started going around, you know, you, you did get a little bit of one-on-one, but for the most part, it was the three guys. Um, so big fan, big fan of, of this match. And I was an even bigger fan when they went outside the arena because commentary couldn't see what was going on. Yeah. They didn't have any kind of live feed or anything. So they just stopped talking. And I'll tell you what, that made this match even better because they sucked. The, the commentary and, and we'll, we'll even have examples in our other two matches of, incredible commentary and even just perfectly fine commentary. These guys, they didn't fucking tell me anything. Now, were they expecting somebody 10 years in the future to be, you know, yeah, almost 14 years in the future to be watching this? Um, No, but they could have at least set the tone, told us about these guys, what their motivations are, et cetera. No, it was just like, Oh, and they're going up to this white stand and the concession stands and, and talked about lumberjacks and, and all this sort of stuff. So, so my point though is that outside area brawl that they had, which I thought was incredible, 
was even better because mm. they were not a part of it and just talking shit. So, um, but yeah, I, I would, I would give this a big thumbs up. Um, and probably of the three matches would probably be my favorite. It's got a lot of replay think- value too. Like I would watch this match again. It, it, that's how much it kicked ass. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you on the indie commentary, though. I think, though, because I was reviewing, like, British wrestling for so many years and stuff, and there's a ton of, sort of, like, bad indie commentary in Brit rest. I mean, it's famous for it. But I, I, I think I, I've just learned how to switch it off at this point. So that's, I think that's why I didn't include any of it in the, sort of, like, rundown of the match, because I just, I've just learned to switch off, sort of, like, bad, sort of, like, indie commentary. But, yeah, they were... They were pretty terrible. But, um, I I agree. I agree with you, Martin. And and I, like I did the exact same thing until they weren't talking, and mm-hmm. then I noticed how much better everything was. So it wasn't like I was listening and I was like, "Oh, they suck." I just I it didn't occur to me until they were actually gone. And then yeah, and then and then in I guess in the next match that we're going to talk about, uh the commentary it really shows you how much they can actually add to it. Mm. But yeah. I suppose the aftermath is worth looking into of this match. Mox regains the belt back from Gage 7 days later at a Tangled Web 3 in a three-way that includes Egotistico Fantastico. And um, his second title reign actually lasts until December, where he loses it to Robert Anthony. And after this, Mox is off to WWE and FCW Developmental by April of 2011. Um, it's funny because I was listening, obviously doing some research for this. He said he's fed up with the indies by this point. He feels like he's done everything and he kind of just hates the backstage at most shows. He think everyone knows everything. There's too many dirt sheet readers, too many Meltzer marks. And he noted this, especially on the art of wrestling with Colt Cabana. Like the drives and the shows and the conditions and everything. And, you know, the, yeah, whatever people complain about the Indies about the tough road to hoe, like that wasn't what was starting to like bother me too. Like people on the Indies were starting to piss me off. <laughs> like people in the locker rooms and like the promoters, like a lot of the smarky fans always piss me off too. But like, I don't know if this makes any sense if you agree with this, but like, it's like somewhere along the line in indie wrestling, the marks like super, everybody's a super internet mark. Like the wrestlers, the refs, the promoters, everybody. Like, nobody's, like... It seemed like everybody was just a goddamn mark. I think like, he, everybody's a smart mark. Like, everybody just walk around with their nose up, like, man, Jantina can't work, and shit like that. Right. Like, you know, even, I think even the older guys who are like, these guys don't... Kids don't know how to work. Even them are, like, internet smart marks. Yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that. Yeah, I mean, you're just wrestling some shithead on some show, and, you know, he's just... You just hear him talking. Because you know, I just said, you know, I don't... Sometimes I just sit in locker rooms and just listen to people talk. And it's just, you know, all that, like, super... So what it Wrestling Observer, right. Marty, I think I know everything attitude. Like, it's like that creeped in everywhere. Obviously, 2011 is a really significant year for Nick Gage as well, who goes to prison for armed robbery. But, um... We uh, jump 11 years in time for our uh, second match, which is John Moxley against... Before, sorry, before we jump 11 years in time, because I don't want to leave 2010. Oh, you want to talk about Mo- you want to talk about Moxley's outfit, right? The bootcut jeans, right? No, I want to. No, I want. I want to talk about. I want to talk about you, Brandon. I want to talk about what what jeans you were wearing in 2010. <laughs> 
what, tell, tell me what was what was Brandon from New Jersey in 2010 like? Brandon from New Jersey was rocking boot cut jeans with uh, with <laughs> with Steve Madden boot, boot shoes uh, and look, looking uh, very of that era. <laughs> were you were you driving a U truck? Uh, I was doing construction at that time before I jumped to my career, which is now. Okay, which, sorry. <laughs> we can bleep that bit out. Uh, Martin, what about you? What, what, what were you doing? 2010. Wow, yeah, I was definitely chefing around that time. Um, can't really remember. Yeah, yeah, I was, a, I was a chef for 20 years, mate, before I uh, oh. got the job that I'm currently in now. So, yeah, I'm sure I was probably wearing bootcut jeans around the time. Still trying to uh, recapture my youth, I imagine. But uh, yeah, probably not looking very cool in the. They don't look cool now, do they? Looking back, boot cut jeans. But uh, yeah, Mox's outfit in this one, the wife. That's a classic indie Mox outfit, isn't it? The wife beater and the. Uh, onto match two, John Moxley against Nick Gage, GCW Fight Club on the 9th of October. 2021 um obviously mox is out of WWE by 2019 gage is out of prison game changer wrestling is now one of the big u.s indies born out of the ashes of jersey championship pro um they quickly made a name for themselves you know booking independent talent from all over the world and gaining a lot of coverage for their wrestlemania weekend shows among many other shows that they were doing throughout the year and gage is a huge part of this company holding the record for being the longest reigning heavyweight champion at 722 days yeah eat that roman reigns um you guys gcw fans as a whole i know you've been to a couple of shows but brandon is it something that you were watching sort of like around this time no um so i had fallen out of uh, watching the hardcore the indie scene uh when gcw rose to prominence uh i i, <laughs> I had stuff to figure out in my own personal life to uh get involved with uh, following wrestling again. But no, I, I had heard what was going on, like how it was uh, coming to prominence and whatnot. And, uh, and by the time, this, by the time like now I, I had been, I've been watching wrestling. It, it was building to like, I guess uh, the show in New York city, right at the, the big pay-per-view that they have. Mm. Or was that later? That was after, uh, yeah, that was after this because he makes the announcement before the match, doesn't he? About them doing yes. the Hammersmith Ballroom, Hammerstein Ballroom, rather. Yes. They're, they're, they're the show that j they jumped the shark with. But uh, <laughs> when Jeff Jarrett appears <laughs> and kills Effie. Um, but uh, yeah, this is like, I, mean, yeah, I suppose I was... this is like your hometown promotion, isn't it, really? They're on a lot in like Atlantic City. Oh, yeah. Jersey, sort of area. They're, they're, that's, their, that's their home turf because. Uh, yeah, uh, the, everyone matriculates to the boardwalk to showboat and uh, gallivants and watches uh, the horror show that is uh, GCW. <laughs> but no, I, I, I haven't, I, I haven't gone. I, I, I didn't go. I'll go. I, I, I am tempted to go though uh, to check it out, but I, I would, I haven't gone now. Gonna say I, I uh, got into uh, GCW with the Dave Arquette match against Nick Gage. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> that's that was the first one that i saw um i guess i was a it, that was 2018 and 2018 and i guess mm. i was like a casual wwe fan but the, the real common thing which i guess is sort of what led to things like AEW uh becoming or you know or, or, or people seeing a need for it and the indies being popular as well uh, at that time was that if you were a casual wrestling fan you had wwe which was awful at the time. And mm -hmm. so you were, you were constantly seeing other things that 
maybe looked better. Um, and so that's when I did start hearing a lot about GCW, a lot about, you know, Joey Janelle, even Penelope Ford was, was being talked about in high regard. Marco Stunt, I believe that, that weekend or at least around that time was, um, was quite prominent, uh, on social media. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I watched the, the, the Nick Gage, David Arquette match and all oh boy, uh, I, I wouldn't exactly say like I became a massive GCW fan after that. Um, but I did very much, uh, I guess, have it on the radar from that point onwards. Yeah, I think that put them on a lot of people's radars, didn't they? Especially Courtney Cox, who was obviously mortified watching that match if you've watched the uh, David Arquette documentary. But it's interesting because obviously Mox could have just, you know, gone to AW, settled back there, but he makes his debut for GCW in October of 2020 at Bloodsport 3, beating Chris Dickinson. And he then makes an appearance after Gage beats Ricky Shane Page for the heavyweight title at Spring Break in April of 2021. Because they face off and Gage says they're going to have a real motherfucking death match. Well, I was going to say, and so we can turn to the book, Mox, by John Moxley, because... Is this um, book corner, Jack and Ari with, uh, with Dickie Bird right now? <laughs> yeah, but I think there might only be one book, though, that we actually <laughs> read throughout this. Um, maybe someone else's. Um, but what, what's most interesting is that if you've read John Moxley's book, it's a, a retrospective on his career spanning, you know, even CZW, Tournament of Death, and even a, a, a very small mention of the match that we just uh, that w- that we just uh, uh, watched or reviewed, talked about. Um, but what's interesting is he was r- this p- section that I'm about to read. I guess was happening right now. So this is the only part of the book, and it's actually the final chapter of the book. And he is literally writing this as he is about to uh, head off to Joey Janela's spring break to confront Nick Gage. So uh, this is what he said. Uh I'm a surprise at the end of Joey Janela's spring break. I will confront Nick Gage, king of the death matches, a folk hero, and the guy who almost cut my tongue out with a pizza cutter 10 years ago. I'm not confronting him because I'm still mad about that or anything, but just because it's something we think people will want to see. I can't deny them that. It's 739 a corn concert, a performance from Woodstock 99 is playing on YouTube on the TV. Wow. Man, YouTube has come a long way. <laughs> I sip a stiff cocktail. Hmm. It burns. I'm coming to life now, visualizing this moment. I hope the people go nuts. I hope they're happy and excited. It's a good story. Two guys who nearly killed each other 10 years ago but haven't laid eyes on one another since. I told Nikki last night, the important thing was just to don't move a muscle. I know you're going to want to, but don't move an effing muscle, I told him. Let him get their phones out and take their pictures. 
Let every image be imprinted on their brains like flames in a graphic novel. Let all the cameras do the work for us. Let the magic of pro wrestling happen. Ten years ago, Nikki went to prison for robbing a bank. In the interim, I went and did what I did, sold a few T-shirts or whatever. But we find ourselves here again. Today is my anniversary. I have a vagina on my head. I guess uh, referring to his match with um, uh, Josh Barnett at Bloodsport the night before, I, I believe that's <laughs> that's a reference to. Um, my wife isn't mad at me yet. She might be later. I think I want to DDT Nikki on a bundle of light tubes. It seems right to me. The button at the end of the night. Yeah, fuck it. It's got to be light tubes. I haven't fucked with tubes in a decade. Once you add <laughs> tubes to the equation, everything changes. You're going to get cut. I can wear a jacket, but the glass finds a way to crawl all over you into any little crevice it can find. It's invasive, like fire ants. But fuck, it's got to be tubes. I will stop and get a bunch of flowers before returning home tomorrow. I will ring the doorbell and play Unchained Melody on my phone, holding an ample amount of bouquets. Renee will open the door and smile. We will hug and kiss. She will be happy. We will have some sex. She didn't marry the guy who was too much of a pussy to stay an extra day in Tampa to DDT Nick F and Gage onto a pile of glass. She married the guy who did. And that's the end of his book. Um, Fantastic. I mean, I was talking earlier about what a great promo and storyteller he is, but that is brilliant. I mean, that's perfect. I mean, you get all these hype videos for their match, but I mean, that's a perfect hype piece in, in its own. And I, I just love the fact that we will be referencing his book throughout this entire uh, show that we do. And we started with the very last two yeah. pages. So <laughs> we'll go backwards, maybe. Who knows? Do you, yeah, do you remember seeing this? Do you remember seeing the, the the like? Do you remember hearing about this? Him showing up at the end, you know, complete surprise, and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, cause it was big news, wasn't it? Because obviously, you know, he had done Bloodsport, but that's sort of like you know, main your weekend style stuff, and you expect to see surprises. And, and then, and then obviously the spring break match in in April, you know, and it was a big surprise, weren't it? You know, and the big face off, and it was like, wow, yeah, they're gonna do, uh, you know. Because you didn't know how many appearances he was going to be making on the indies, you know, because they obviously had his AW commitments and you were like, wow, yeah, him and Nick Gage, you know, all the history and everything. And they did a perfect way of building it. And especially bringing the title into it, because obviously Gage had lost the title to Matt Cardona and then Mox made a surprise appearance and beat Cardona for the belt. And, you know, and they had more confrontations. I didn't think they did a perfect job in building this. You know, they had the tons of build on YouTube. I think they really just captured the audience's imaginations, you know, with the promos, leaning into their history, the 10-year rivalry, and clearly it was a big success for them. Sell out about 2,000 people for this showboat hotel in Atlantic City, you know, bringing in Mick Foley as a special guest commentator, you know, really, really did such a brilliant job of creating an electric atmosphere for this one. This was right after he broke out of the prison, right? The video? Or was that him at the bar? Wait, which one? <laughs> The, no, the, the break out of the prison was after WWE. Him at the bar yeah. was New debut Japan. in New Japan. Okay. Yeah. And this and this was 
two years after that. But I mean, to, this must have been the biggest show that GCW had done up to this point. I mean, that building was absolutely packed out, you know, real red hot audience. And um, I mean, Brandon, do you feel like Mick Foley added to this? Because he seems to turn up on a lot of indie shows and stuff, doesn't he? But I do, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, no, God, not Mick Foley again. But I do feel, you know, with his history <laughs> with death matches and stuff, I really feel like he did add something to this match rather than just coming for a payday and a free lunch. I think a lot of lunches. You probably hit the they put probably at the buffets in Atlantic City, definitely. But uh, you know, I, I really didn't I really didn't notice him while watching the match. You know what I'm saying? Like I was more focused on the match. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention to the commentary per se, but uh mm. I'm I, I you you guys might disagree with me, but uh I, I don't think he really brought that much to the table for this match. Ah, I think it was a lot to do with the build up and stuff and you know, him being there sort of like introducing stuff more so than the commentary. Okay, so here's the thing. He says, "This is I wrote this down because it's one of the or the most interesting thing that I thought he said on commentary. He says, having a beautiful wife and child only enhances the sadistic sex side of John Moxley, which I, of course, took my own notes and uh, maybe I, I can be a bit more sadistic myself. But <laughs> I guess, I guess it's funny because like that's a ridiculous thing to say. It doesn't. I don't. I don't know. Right? It's a ridiculous thing. But you know who can say that, and you actually probably believe him, Mick Foley. Yeah. Because we all remember. Uh, um, fuck. What was that documentary? Beyond the Mat. Yeah. Right? Beyond the Mat. We all yeah. remember. We all remember his his model wife, and you know his kids in the in the in the crowd when he's taking all those chair shots from the Rock at the Royal Rumble. Um, oh, you know, I'm just saying, so he's, he's got pedigree to be able to say stuff like that. Now, now would I say he was the most incredible commentator? Uh, no, not necessarily, but like even not being that noticed is, is probably not a bad thing. You know, he didn't take away from the match at all, but yeah, there were a few things that he said that I think, um, only McFoley could say, and, and that's probably what you want him there. To, to to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously he's going on about sort of like the deathmatch style not being for everybody. And when he was doing it in ECW, people referred to it as garbage wrestling. And he's sort of like trying to give more context to it and say like people appreciate it a lot more now than sort of like when him and Terry Funk were doing it. But into the match itself and uh, the intro for Gage is very long and the crowd is absolutely <laughs> eating it up. Dewey Donovan's out here with Gage. I mean, Brandon, what, what's a Dewey Donovan? I, <laughs> Thank you, because I was going to ask the same thing. You, uh, you, your guess is as good as mine. You look like a drifter from uh, Pacific Avenue where all the heroin addicts ain't got in the lunatic. <laughs> and and how, come, how come in the next match he's listed as discount Dewey Donovan? Is, <laughs> was there a change between the two years? Or? I don't know, but he's... he's He's still wearing that men's warehouse suit that he got. He got for this show. <laughs> um, what Wait I on. also liked as well is uh, he he was introduced as uh, Nick Gage was introduced at two hundred and seven pounds, and uh, I don't think that was fooling anyone, including Gage as well, who kind of went. Ooh. <laughs> what I loved about the start of this match, before we even get Mox's intro, Gage smashes like this huge bundle of light tubes over his head, and Mox's. Bleeding already, literally five seconds into the match, and uh, but then 
It looked like I'm sorry to interrupt you. It looked like the like twos they got a two for one discount at Billows Electric and Blackwood with the, all the all the all the like twos they had for this for this particular match. It was incredible. Sorry, I'm just I'm just googling. Sorry, what was it? Billows, Billows Electric and Blackwood. Okay, all right. Is that is that a go to place for light tubes then? It's a go to place for light fixtures, light tubes, <laughs> anything electrical. It's hilarious watching them sort of like swing these sort of like bundles of huge light tubes around. And I'm, I'm just remembering when we had one in our kitchen, I was trying to change it and I was handling it like it was a delicate piece of art. And I'm like, look at these guys just swinging them around the head and everything. So, uh, that's because you're a normal human being yeah. and you're not supposed to breathe <laughs> that, that pixie dust that comes out of the light tubes. <laughs> yeah, you but do worry for them and the crowd with the amount of this stuff that's going into the air because uh, Mox grabs a bundle of tubes himself, smashes them over Gage's head. Mox engaging in exchanging forearms before Mox throws Gage outside of the ring to an already set up table of barbed wire and glass. Oh. Which this looks so this brutal. Yeah. And, and his leg, the his way his leg uh, kind of twisted when he landed. I mean, good for him. It didn't seem to make a difference, but geez, that looked brutal as. Yeah, definitely. Because then they're back in the ring. Mox brings out a pizza cutter and the crowd goes absolutely crazy for this. Because obviously we mentioned before, not long after the dark side of the ring episode aired about Nick's gauge. So Mox starts slicing away at the forehead. It carries into the opposite side of the ring, starts cutting away at Gage's head again. Mox kisses the pizza cutter and makes snow angels in the uh, broken glass, which I thought was <laughs> brilliant. Why not? Perfect way, because it all looked uh, like white snow all over the ring. Um, Mox then punches Gage with a stiff right, sending Nick Gage into the corner. Mox goes for Gage, but he's dumped over the ropes onto the apron and is smashed into it. Moxley then drops outside of the ring and he's hit with a baseball slide assisted by light tubes from Nick Gage. I mean, that looked fantastic as well. Just all the sort of like dust flying in the air from the um, baseball slide into the into the light tubes. Gage then tosses Mox into the ring post, hands a chair to a fan so he can uh, smash Mox's head into that. They brawl through the crowd. The camera can't quite keep up with them, so we end up calm and we can barely keep up with this, what's going on here. This is sometimes a problem with... Um, these indie death matches when they brawl around the crowd. Sometimes it's hard to uh, keep up with what's going on. Oh, it adds to it. That's the part of charm, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, not not seeing anything what's going on yet. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> part, part of the charm. Um, what's funny here, because um, Moxley's back on top here. He takes a swig of water as uh, Mick Foley informs on commentary that you don't want to get dry mouth in it, especially in a match <laughs> like this, which is... <laughs> <laughs> These are the things you aren't getting from the other indie commentators. This is the uh, you know the insight you're going to get from Mick Foley, yeah. That you need to, uh, yeah. You know, he sure he should know, it, right? Exactly. Gage follows Mox like, back to the ring and tosses him in. Then Gage hits Moxley with a spinebuster in the glass in the center of the ring and calls for a barbed wire board. Moxley then hits Gage with a release suplex, tossing him into the barbed wire. Moxley takes the barbed wire clippers from the referee and cuts a piece of barbed wire to use as a weapon, wrapping it around his arm and going to work on Nick Gage. I said, I always love it when they do it. They do this in every death match, but it always is a good visual when, you know, you see them take the barbed wire and wrap it around their arms to, you know, use as a weapon. Always love that. <laughs> don't, do, don't do what, uh, what Sabu did. And then <laughs> grabbing the barbed wire and taping his flesh up with uh, with tape. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Definitely don't do that. Um, Moxley continues sort of like hammer on, on Nick Gage using the barbed wire and dragging it across uh, Gage's forehand. Blood galore here. Gage is on the comeback now, but Moxley wraps the barbed wire around Nick Gage's face and then uses it to pull Gage to the mat in an inverted neck breaker. I mean, this is always sick. I know, obviously, you know, the wrestlers know what they're doing and stuff like that, but when it's that close to your neck, I always... You know, I always end up really wincing that no matter how many times you see it, someone having barbed wire sort of like wrapped around the neck's always pretty disgusting. Didn't Pam Anderson have a barbed wire tattoo around her neck? <laughs> Didn't Bill Goldberg? I don't know. What is that thing? That Anyway, uh, they, <laughs> Not the they, best they Goldberg talked about, tattoo, yeah. <laughs> they, they talked about, uh, they were talking about Renee as well on, on, on commentary, uh, you know, that, um, hopefully she's she's watching or or listening or or whatever. And uh, I thought, yeah, what was Renee doing? So I checked her Twitter during this, and uh, her tweet during this match just said, "I absolutely hate this." <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> yes, of course. When she got with Mox, he wasn't doing all these sorts of matches, was he? So, no. uh... <laughs> but yeah, no, there is he, a lot of talk about Renee and cowboy that. hats. Oh yeah. <laughs> and gas masks. Um, exactly. Safe with Jericho. But there is a lot of talk ab- about Renee and the child in this in this match, isn't there? Obviously, Foley <laughs> brings it up, and then the rest of the commentary sort of harp on about it for quite a bit as well. Yeah, and and also Foley brings up um, that when he was WWF commissioner and WWE general manager, he he liked being like part of the action. He didn't just want to be backstage; he wanted to be part of the action. Brandon, no mention of him being at the TNA minority shareholder. A, a true travesty. He didn't bring that part of that. that part <laughs> of a true travesty. The part of his career is rather forget, even though he wrote a whole book on it and he's a feud thing. But yeah, it never gets brought up, does it? Mick Foley <laughs> in TNA. <laughs> What's great also in the match, Boxley points out these glass panes that have been... Um, Nicely put up against the uh, the side of the ring, and God knows where they got this glass from. I mean, what was it, Brandon? Some kind of like swan? Someone had sort of like painted this stuff into the glass. Not your typical sort of glass that you'd see, you know, for one of these styles of matches. Like a Sinistine Chapel type of a church type of glass, whatever. Yeah, what do you which, call it which hardware store? Which hardware store did they get this one from? They had to get that from Ace Hardware <laughs> in, in Violin, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like they nicked them from a local church. I mean, Mox was looking at this thing for ages. I thought it was going to start like praying in front Will, of it. They looked like they had it specially made from Will Mad Glass in Maze Landing. <laughs> it looked like a shower. It looked like a, sh- a shower cur- glass door or something uh, like that. Uh, uh, okay, so I stayed. I, I, I stayed at the showboat. I'm pretty sure they just nicked that from one of the rooms. <laughs> I've never seen a shower with a. <laughs> A glass partition like this before it must be a must be a Jersey thing. You, you've um, never stayed at the showboat before, I guess. Yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to add it to the bucket list. I'm getting on there in years, you know. Staying at the showboat, I'll um, I'll add that onto there. But anyway, so obviously we've got these panes of glass and the sides of the ring. Moxley lifts Nick Gage up onto his shoulders, but Gage fights off and spears Moxley through one of the glass panes in the corner of the ring. He sets up a chair on Moxley, drops an elbow onto the chair. He then grabs a light tube, breaks it, and then uses the broken edge to cut across Moxley's forehead like we saw in the first match. Gage then gets his own pizza cutter. 
you know, he's taking Moxley around the ring, and then obviously we get the open mouth. He's cutting into Moxley's mouth, you know, throwback to the uh, to the story that Moxley told, not only in the book but on the uh, dark side of the ring. The Gazing. ref selling was well, the ref selling all this as well was hilarious. His facial expressions, <laughs> well, oh, I know, he was just like, <laughs> yeah, because the camera caught him perfectly as well, didn't he? This ref's like, oh my god, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah, he was. <laughs> He was um, he was a good little component in this uh, match. I thought the ref, especially like you said, with his his facial expressions. After the pizza cutter, Gage then grabs a bundle of light tubes, sets it on the mat, going for a pile driver. But Moxley reverses out. Moxley then hits a DDT and Gage goes for the cover, but Gage kicks out. Moxley hits a cutter onto the light tubes, going for a cover, but then Gage kicks out at two. Moxley and Gage get to their knees and exchange forearm shots. Forearms turn to headbutts. Both men get to their feet. This is kind of like the boo yay spot that's a thing of sort of like WWE matters now, isn't it? Um, Moxley then goes for a clothesline. Hit with a DDT from Gage. Gage grabs a chair, smashes it into Moxley's head in the corner. Dewey Donovan makes his appearance in the match. He was he was there earning his money for these suits. And Nick Gage, another bundle of light tubes. He sets it in the face of Moxley. Gage runs, smashes the tubes into Moxley's face. Gage goes for the cover, but Moxley kicks out at two. Gage sets up two chairs, sets a pane of glass on the chairs, climbs to the top rope, brings Moxley up with him. Gage is kind of looking for a pile driver, but Moxley fights it off. Gage and Moxley sort of exchange strikes on the top rope, but Moxley bites Gage's face. Moxley hits the DDT from the top rope through the glass table that's set up, goes for the cover, gets the three count, retains the title. It's not anything that you've not seen before in the death match, you know, especially sort of like the overuse of sort of the pizza cutter, but the crowd are absolutely eating this one up. I had a great time watching this match. The build with it was so good. Great promo packages on YouTube. Appearances by Moxley at the end of other DCW events, challenge games, really, really whetted the fans' appetite. Like I said, you know, you, you might have seen a lot of this stuff before, but the crowd is so red hot for it. There's real, I, I feel like there's a, there's a real sense of this, you know, being a big, you know, match feel, you know, you had to be there for it, hence the sellout and the biggest crowd they've done to that point. They hit all the spots perfectly, really elevated a regular death match into something special. I, I think that this was like probably, I, I, it was a really, it was really good. I think it was probably one of the more important matches for GCW for, uh, for its rise, like to get, this type of match on the show and like you were getting eyes on it, it. Didn't it do a good, uh, number, decent number on, uh, streaming and stuff like that. Yeah, I think so. Were they on fire at this point? I think it probably yes. did do a good number for them. Yeah, yeah it was. And so this was like, not only just a big match for the Indies, but it was just like, you got eyes like from people in different, you know, big organizations that, that want to, probably leave the company and seeing Moxley do all this freedom and stuff like that. I I think it was a pretty important match for not only for the GCW, but for Moxley and, and Gage. Moxley's the perfect foil as well, I think, for Gage at this point. So obviously the crowd's well behind Gage. You know, there's a few sort of like smatterings of, of, of applause for Moxley because obviously the crowd are going to respect him. You know, remember the history between those two, but then, to them, he still represents, he's with the bigger company, AEW, and he's coming onto their territory. So he's kind of like the perfect foil for Gage, I feel, um, at this point in both of their careers, Dickie. Yeah, look, I I thought this match was pretty good too. 
Um, I think they capitalized on the crowd being so hot with Gage just immediately smashing the light tubes over their head uh, at the start of the match before uh, Moxley could be introduced. That really set the tone, you know, and we will see a complete stark difference in the next match and how that one started. Um, but I think you you had a lot of curiosity in this one as well. Um, they, you know, the, again, props to commentary as a whole, not not just McFoley, but, you know, they, they talked a lot about uh, John Moxley's here because he wants to be, you know, he wants to prove something um, that, you know, he's been in WWE now, he's got this big contract in AEW and, and he wants to show that he can still do death matches. And, and, and that's really a, another aspect of, of this match that, that made it so intriguing. Um, sadly, I think that would fade after this match. Mm. Um, but n- nevertheless, um, the, the only thing I had a problem with in this match was the, the finish was a little bit strange, I guess. It, it mm. I guess the, 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 um, it was what, like a backdrop off the top through a plane, pane of glass, but Moxley was the one who mostly went through it, um, where it was supposed to be Gage who went through it and Foley on commentaries like, Oh, um, he didn't, Mox didn't get all of it because Foley probably had no idea that was going to be the finish. So he's kind of selling it <laughs> as like, uh, this, oh, Gage is going to kick out or, or whatever. And, and then it was just one, two, three. And it kind of, it kind of seemed a little, out of nowhere and a little flat. And I think a lot of people were expecting Gage to win the title back. And I Mm. actually believe that he probably should have. I know what they were going for, you know, the long-term sort of thing. But in retrospect, probably wrapping up the the story here would have been better and just fine. Yeah, because obviously with the huge success of this one, they are you know, natural for GCW to want to do it again, obviously. You know, I mean, they have to wait over a year to do it because this is the third match we're going to talk about is John Moxley against Nick Gage from GCW Fight Club on the 8th of October 2022. Still in Atlantic City, but we're at the Garden Pier outside because it's funny because in the meantime, you know, Mox was doing AEW New Japan, but he was still defending the GCW Everweight title against, I think, he, uh, Homicide, AJ Gray, Tony Deppin, and Blake Christian. So he wasn't being a slouch, you know, hardly appearing for the company. Um, and it was after his defense against Effie in August that um, Gage came out and challenged Moxley. And Moxley was like, sure, you can have another shot of the title, but you've got to put your career on the line. So we set up this match being title versus career but before we get into the review dicky you were there live for this one you were there at the garden pier in atlantic city i was there at the garden pier in atlantic city and not the carousel room i think it's called <laughs> in the showboat even though when the tickets were purchased that's where it said it was going to be um you know shout out to the man the myth the legend Scott Michael Farry, uh, Brandon and I know him well. Um, he's a, a post Discord enthusiast, uh, and I GCW. contacted him. <laughs> yeah, and 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 he's uh, at least uh, 
he would go to a lot of the GCW shows. I think this was the first one in a while that he had been to, but uh, he, he was uh, a frequent of heading to Atlantic City. Um, so he knew a lot of people. And so I contacted him um, and he uh, gracefully uh, made the trip from Connecticut to uh, to Atlantic City and uh, and met me there and, and took care of all the tickets and everything. But yes, this was not supposed to be on the pier. Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say some allegedly's because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, but of course, I was with people who knew people who worked and run the the shows because they go often. And uh, it was apparently double booked. So there was a, a, a shitty New Jersey MMA promotion uh, in the carousel room that night. So when I got off the plane uh, from Toronto to Philadelphia, I was informed that Obviously actually it will be, it will be, it will be outside on the, on the pier. And uh, to be honest, I was kind of like, okay, that's kind of cool. It's a different a different setting. Um, I was going to the show the next night as well, so I was still going to be experiencing GCW show in that carousel room, which is what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it uh, was not supposed to to be here, and unfortunately, because of that, it led to a few few issues, in my opinion. Um, one of which was the spoiler at the end of this match. <laughs> I suppose I sh- should probably just talk about it now. It's not like anyone's watching this or listening to this and doesn't want to be spoiled for the end, but we're all lining up along the boardwalk, along the Atlantic City boardwalk to get into this pier that's kind of sectioned off. Um and as we're waiting, I guess there's no back entrance. The back entrance is mm. the ocean or whatever, right? The Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and so so we're just sitting there. And, of course, out of a car gets John Moxley. And he is with uh, Brett Lauderdale and walks up the ramp through the front door of the pier where everyone's lining up to go through. So he walks through there. Well, no less than 10 minutes later, another car pulls up and big Cass, big Bill, William Morrissey (laughs) gets out of the car. And you're like, what the fuck? What's he doing here? And he's hard to miss. Stokely Hathaway is easy to miss. Apologies. Especially (laughs) maybe standing next to, uh, big Bill. Big Bill. Uh, so I didn't actually notice him there. I imagine he was walking with him as well. But everyone was fixed on, on, uh, on Big Cass, and um, and yeah, it was just like, oh, okay. So I guess that's how they're going to get out of this. Because if anybody remembers, thanks to CM Punk, John Moxley ended up becoming the AEW champion when he really wasn't supposed to be. Mm. So it was a, a week or so, a week and a half before this, that Moxley won the title at AEW Grand Slam last year. And I was even on a show with John Ceno and Davey Portman saying, so what the fuck's going to happen? Because I don't see Nick Gage losing his career here. So you're going to have what, the AEW champion 
mm. job out to Nick Gage on an indie show. That's going to be very strange. So I guess this was their way of protecting Moxley. I don't see in the, in the, in the alternate universe where Moxley is not the AEW champion and he was not really supposed to be AEW champion through any of this. You know, he dropped no. the title very early. 2021 and then went and did this whole okay i'm gonna go do all of this stuff as you know taking my time off not being the main event anymore of AEW. um but he found himself now back in that spot and yeah they they i guess they had to do this and and it really was a negative point and i think even though just the whole the whole atmosphere severely was affected by the fact that he's mm. now the AEW champion coming in here, he was widely rejected by the fans, even way more so on that first match. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and so that was the the current the current experience. It's cold, cold on that pier. I remember that was the only question you asked me about the pier. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's kind of a good backdrop, isn't it? Is it the casinos and stuff that are in the background? So it looks like a, a pretty decent backdrop to have, you know, the ring and stuff. They look but yeah, cool it, shit out there too. Oh yeah, everyone's wearing like big parkers and stuff like that, aren't they? And it looks a decent number, but not it doesn't seem as many. I mean, you were there, Dickie, you, you know better than us, but it, it doesn't look as many as they got for, um, you know, the two thousand that they got for the match the year before. Absolutely not. I I I reckon two hundred people. <laughs> wow, I'm not a good judge. I'm not a good judge on on that necessarily. But I guess I I I kind of look at the showboat, the carousel room from the showboat in the first match, and then I remember what the carousel room in the showboat was the following year on night two. Granted, John mm. Moxley wasn't there, so you will have people who, who just showed up for night one and didn't bother going to night two. But there was like there were people in that first match going all the way to the end, like they were packed in in that space. Mm. You know, um, it was half of that. You know, right. so if you were saying two thousand in that first match. You know, maybe a little under one thousand, I guess, would be would be the the, the better guess. Um, but yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I don't even know how you fit that many people in that pair. It was a very small space. It really was. Right. Yeah, because they don't seem as loud for this one. And obviously, now I've heard that they all knew that Big Bill was getting involved. You know, I can sort of see why because. You know, he's had a bit of a career resurgence now. But I remember W. Morrissey wasn't as popular back then as he is sort of now. But after the intros, crowd starts chanting "fuck you, Mox." Gage tries to lock up with Moxley, but he keeps evading him. Gage then just gets fed up and shoulder tackles Mox, but Mox is straight back up, and they exchange punches and forearms. So obviously, not as hot an opener as as the first match. Gage gets Can the I, advantage. Not at all. Yeah, not, yeah, not, not the big shock that we had for the for the first match, was it, Brandon? <laughs> no, not at all. Can I stop you for a second? Like. Uh, we forgot. We forgot to mention like Moxley, like how massive he looks in in, in this match and in the previous match. Like he looked like something out of a. Uh, he 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 really changed his physique when uh when he jumped when he jumped ship. I mean, he was getting bigger uh in the Fed, mm. but when he left, he he really he really put the work in. 
Yeah, that is a really good point because obviously when you contrast it with that first match, he just looks like they're equal. But then, especially when you see him up against Gage in the first match in GCW, he just looks like, you know, I hate it's a cliche term, but he just looks like the superstar, doesn't he, going up against the indie guy rather than, you know, from the match from 2010, they look like equals, if that makes sense. Yeah, he looks like he could build a, uh, uh, an organization around them. I mean, that's how that's how jacked he was in, in this run. Yeah, definitely. Um, they exchange punches and forearms. Gage then gets the advantage with Lariat and grabs the pizza cutter. But Mox slides to the outside this time. He's not having anything to do with that pizza cutter. Gage follows, sets up a bundle of light tubes on the apron. As he turns his back, Mox races over into the ring and baseball slides him into Gage's back. And who doesn't say you have callbacks in these uh, in these death matches? So obviously it was um, Mox Nick receiving Gage, the baseball slide in the first Nick match. Nick Gage's baseball slide is, is he's no he's no John Crook. He's he's pretty it's pretty bad. <laughs> deep deep cut that one. Mm. <laughs> Well, inside the baseball for sure. Um, <laughs> he then proceeds to break more tubes over Gage's head and starts slicing up his head with the broken tube. Moxley like dominates this early portion of the match, doesn't he? I mean, he does a lot of play acting to the crowd who are all pro Gage. You know, seems to be a fair amount of stalling in this in this open part. There's all the crowd seems to be. Um, Pro Nick Gage, apart from one lady who just keeps screaming "Mox, Mox, Mox" over again, or perhaps it was Dicky. I, I couldn't be sure. Um, no, I think that lady was. I think that lady was behind me, and I think she was holding a sign that said "Mox, spit on me," <laughs> which I took a photo of and will share on my Twitter at Dicky Bird Media. Right? <laughs> was it? Was it the same lady who was holding up the Facebook? Face fuck me, Finn. I, you know, I think they might be sisters. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Definitely cut from the same cloth. But anyway, Gage tries for a comeback. He's met with more light tube. He then fires up, hits a running back elbow and a flat liner. Then hits an elbow drop from the top rope onto a bunch of light tubes on Mox's chest. Gage finally gets the pizza cutter out, taking Mox around the ring because the crowd start chanting bring him over here, slicing and dicing Mox's forehead until he's bleeding profusely all over the shop. Mox then makes a comeback with a stunner, which goes down like a sack of shit with his crowd, sets up a pane of glass in the corner of the ring. Gage goes to spear Mox, but he moves and Gage goes crashing through the glass. Mox then hits a butterfly suplex for a near fall and starts stomp on Gage's chest. We then get Moxley grabbing another pane of glass covered in barbed wire. He sets that one up in the corner. But before he can do anything, big surprise. I bet you were shocked when this happened. <laughs> Stokely oh, Hathaway so and W. Morrissey, Big Bill, enter via the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Bill... Rocking their firm gear. <laughs> <laughs> Bill chokes arms, Mox through the glass and the barbed wire. The exit in time. Gage is back in, rolls back in the ring, goes to pin Mox, kicks out at two. The commentary lose their shit at this point. They're like, we thought it was over, we thought it was over, but it's not. Gage then pile drives Moxley twice, chokes on him for the one, two, three, to win the GCW heavyweight title and save his career. 
I mean, after that first match, the, the build-up for everything, and then this one, obviously, I wasn't aware of the background going into it, of you being there live, Dickie, but I mean, this sadly was a big letdown for me. I mean, after how much, you know, the first one felt like something big, this felt, for me, like going through the motions, you know, like I know had lots of stalling from Mox in this one, and yeah, I know Gage is very broken down by this point, there's only so much he can do, and... You know, you can see why they wanted to do it again from a business standpoint, but we got some spots and a fair amount of blood. But it, for me, it just didn't hit the same way, you know, it had the year before. The ending as well, really, really flat. Um, you know, as we'll talk about in a bit, that didn't end up going anywhere anyway. And, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel a bit ridiculous saying this because obviously it's a Nick Gage death match, but they didn't do enough with the fact that Gage's career was on the line. He kind of just came out and treated it like a normal match or i don't know brandon was it just me this one seemed like um you know really flat compared to the, no, the one they'd had that, year previously i'm 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 in i'm in lockstep with you it was kind of deflating this uh this final match i mean uh, the great 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 backdrop of the ocean uh but uh yeah it was it was kind of a downer compared to the other the, the other two matches uh that we uh we watched but uh yeah uh it, it seemed kind of rushed to everything, like mm. the, the run-ins and stuff like that, uh, which wasn't necessary, uh, I guess, because they couldn't find a way out and, and another way out with the whole Mox being champion and the whole fiasco in, in, in AEW and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was it was kind of a, a wet fart to me. How come you didn't go to this one live? Did you think he was going to be there or something? No, I mean, I had I had another conflict uh, stuff going on. You're a liar. You went to Extreme Rules that night to see Bray Wyatt I return. Did, did not, did not, did not do that. That was the same night too. That's right. But no, I, yeah, had I was in Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia as well. I had a, I had a commitment that night, so I he was at the uh, he was at the mixed martial arts in the uh, in the casino. So. <laughs> I was at the CFMC at the carousel. <laughs> Brand, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon met me at uh, at Grand Slam the week beforehand and said, "That's it for me. I don't want to spend another <laughs> second with that guy. He's weird." He grabbed my beard for Martin Bushby. Anyway, that's uh, another story. How did you feel about this match, Dicky? Look, it's an unfortunate. I guess it's a result of unfortunate events. And it's not just due to the CM Punk vacating the title and then putting it back on Moxley. You know, you also, in between these two matches, you you did have um, Moxley uh, go to rehab as well during that time. Um, Nick Gage as well hadn't actually wrestled for um, GCW in seven months before this match um this there was some some outside forces that was prolonging this and i i don't think the year the year that it took from match 1 to match 2 like serviced it in any way in a in a positive way i i i think it sort of detracted because i think by the time they came back to the second one it just it didn't have the same feel again. The, the people were very down on Moxley, and you can hear it in the crowd. Like he was, 
he was booed quite a lot and he played the heel, but you also heard people in the crowd yelling Tony Khan's bitch to him and all this sort of stuff. Whereas wow. in the, in the first match, you know, he was more respected um, as somebody kind of coming in. So uh, look, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not a fantasy booker or a pretend promoter. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if, if that was always the, the plan for it to be a year build, but there really wasn't much of a build in that no. year. Um, like you said, um, Gage came out at the end of that Effie match and just said, you know, I, I want another match. And, and, and that was kind of it. But, but during that time, it was, yeah, Moxley doing a few sporadic title defenses. Um, and, you know, his big, I didn't think much of his big match against Homicide at the Hammerstein Ballroom. I thought that would have been the perfect match. Mm. Now, granted, that was his first match back out of rehab. So maybe that wasn't the, the time. Maybe that was the original plan was. To, to, to do it then. Um, but yeah, man, like it was just very, very strange. I don't know if they thought, um, oh, well, shit, you know, in match one, Moxley can go all out if he gets cut really bad or if he gets injured. It doesn't it, It's not going to have an adverse effect on AEW television, say, for instance. Whereas now it's like, shit, you know, they had to to scramble to to fix the CM Punk problem. Moxley's now going to carry the promotion until we figure out how to, you know, what's going to happen. And maybe there was a bit of hesitancy. You can tell that the, they started the match off doing a friggin', you know, hold the A button down in, in No Mercy and do a, a long, hard grapple. Um, collar and elbow tie up. That's what I was trying to think. Um, you know, which isn't what you do in a blood feud, right? Mm. What you do in a blood feud is what they did at the start of the first match kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I know that there's probably going to be someone who could say, Oh, this is the reason why it was like this. Maybe it was because they wanted to do opposite to a death match. It was going to be a Moxley match where it was like more of a wrestling match, et cetera, but it didn't work. And then of course the end. You know, it was never going to happen, but if they managed to have snuck MJF in for MJF to do the run-in, I think that would have been miles better than Big yeah. Bill because, of course, that's that was the story in AEW was he was feuding with MJF and MJF was in the firm with Stokely Hathaway. And so that's how they, they tied that in. Um, but, yeah, it, it just – it kind of was – you kind of felt also that this was it, you know, this was the end of the story and it was going to kind of go out sort of the way, not, not necessarily the way that anybody wanted to, but it was going to be the end. And then we move on. Yeah. It's a shame really. Cause it, especially when you put it all like that, it sort of feels like everything was working for the first match. And then with this one, especially with the lead up and everything that was going on behind the scenes and, and, and things like that. It certainly felt like everything was working against this match. And like you said there, the Big Bill interference came to nothing anyway, because, you know, they were part of the firm. We were helping MJF out at the time. But I think it was even the Dynamite after this show that MJF fired them anyway, and then it was never brought on a, up on AEW TV again. So it was kind of like... No, no, you're so wrong, Martin. Okay, it's long-term storytelling. I think, <laughs> was it... Four weeks ago on Dynamite, we finally got 
the John Moxley versus Big Bill match for the uh, international championship. It was, it was all, it, that's why Big Bill came out and interfered that night. Cause he was like, one day you're going to have the international title and I'm going to take it off you. <laughs> Even and, though uh, right now it doesn't exist or it's not yeah. called the international title, whatever. <laughs> yeah, what is it called now? <laughs> I don't think they introduced it yet at this point. It was, it, it was the, it was, was the transatlantic championship right. or something. And they had Australians in it, even though the we're. Pacific, title. That would be better. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I saw Pat make the first defense of that in my hometown of Sheffield. That was at uh, the end of showing <laughs> on AEW against the uh, show Rumino. So I remember. Uh, yeah, that would have been all right. Shout out Andy Ogden was doing the chants and then you hear Taz on commentary going, Oh, I like those chants that he's doing. So that was uh <laughs> But yeah, it was it what was it called, mate? It, was it it wasn't something it was, it was like the North Atlantic title and then the Yeah, it was, was something the Atlantic Australia. Championship. The Allied um, Powers title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like just this big joke. Even the the you know, even um Japan as well was like it, it included in this tournament for it and you know, it's just ridiculous. But, but so to wrap up this uh, first episode, I mean, obviously, certainly one of Mox's biggest rivals going back over 10 years, you know, all the matches they had on CZW, really good opponents for each other, and they used to, uh, you know, get the most out of each other, especially in these death matches, as we discussed. And, you know, I don't think I'd want to see it again, especially, you know, with our limited gauges these days. But, um, yeah. Oh, you I look just... so depreciated and slow in this match. Even compared to a year before. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, he's, he's put his body through so much. And then, obviously, you know, his life, you know, with everything going to prison and stuff like that. I thought, he, you know, comparing them to the first match and the second match, yeah, he, like you say, he seemed to have really depreciated in that time. And it's still, and it still boggles my mind how he got on. He got on AWTV. <laughs> oh, he, man. And he, and, he, and he did the freaking pizza cutter on Jericho. Like, <laughs> what is going on? How did this guy get on TV? I know Tony Khan is the, is the IWC king and stuff like that. And, but <laughs> I'm like, wow. And they gave, I mean, good for him. It's if, a good come up for him. If, and Dark if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, it was actually brilliant. Because, at, you, you know, you, you, you wouldn't want to do it now. And you probably wouldn't want to do it too much before that. They 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 struck while the iron was hot, and 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 MJF bringing out Nick Gage to face Chris Jericho as one of the labors was just perfect. And then just that's it for him, kind of thing. Um, and he was that was at his hottest. I, I truly one hundred percent believe. Um, and so, yeah, I, I know that it's kind of like, why would you have him on TV? But if you were going to have him on TV, that was the only time in his career where I think it was perfect for it. And then it's just declined ever since, ever since then. Like I said, he, he hadn't been on TV for, for seven months. At this time, at the start of this match, they uh, announced him at 217 pounds which Gage looked way more convinced that that was accurate than <laughs> the previous year where he wasn't looking too great um, size-wise, which I think is kind of – something happened with him in that year as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's – he as Moxie says in his book, he's a folk hero, and I think he can ride this wave for the rest of his career 
just simply being a folk hero and not necessarily needing to do that much. And he shouldn't do that much because he's put himself through so much. So this was kind of an end of an era in a lot of ways, Mm. not just for the feud, but I think even for Nick Gage and really even for John Moxley on the independent scene, um, even though we have seen him after the match, they, they mentioned that, um, AEW basically told him that he's not allowed to do these anymore. That's when Nagage kind of gave the impression to everyone. And there was talks at the time that Moxley had signed a new contract that was going to limit him doing this. Now it's kind of bullshit because he would end up doing blood sport again. And, mm. um, and, and other how he's popular, weren't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, the year and, after. Yeah. And so, but nevertheless, it did kind of mark the end of John Moxley in this incarnation of GCW, I suppose. I don't think mm. he's probably going to be seen again. And the shots he does for Wrestling Revolver, I think, you know, I've watched a couple of those matches and he's not, you know, he's not putting his working boots on like you're seeing Dynamite. He's more there to sort of like give the promotion a bit of a bump and, you know, and he's made an appearance at PWG and stuff like that. But like you said there, in terms of him making any, you know, major appearances at Indies, you know, I think that's that's done now. I don't think we're going to get another sort of like Mox against Gage big style indie match again from him. That's that's pretty much the bulk of the AEW talent, right? They can't do all that stuff anymore. Or can't, right? Well, yeah, even Eddie Kingston said he's going to focus more on AEW now, isn't he, than rather than do indie dates mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was around this time that all that started to get cracked down. Yep. So, um, obviously, this is the first episode. We've got plenty more to get into. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, check out the rest of the Poison Rana stuff this month. Davey and Braden reviewing Halloween 6. That's got to be a riot because that film is absolutely dreadful. And, uh, Dicky, you're going to be going on with them for um, uh, a somewhat spooky Halloween review this month as well. Yeah, so if you are listening to this and you've just tuned in for curiosity, do follow the the Poison Rana free feed. You will get things like the Detox Show with Jordan Goodman and What Up Doe with uh, uh, John Ceno and B Detroit, uh, as well as the weekly Poison Rana show and uh, and Shot in the Dark with with John Ceno. But for five dollars a month, you can sign up to the Patreon, uh, the Poison Rana Patreon. Become a friend. And uh, if you do that, this month, in a week, you will hear me with Braden and Davey reviewing the Lars von Trier movie Antichrist. I've somehow convinced them that this is a Halloween movie, (laughs) and I think... (laughs) <laughs> they're they're gonna hear this probably before they even watch it and sit oh, down with me. <laughs> uh, um it's I suppose you could say it's spooky. Uh it's spooky how somebody managed to actually get this film greenlit and made. Um but also pretty much just uh listen to Braden react to the very first shot of this film, which involves um a penis and a vagina and a very close-up shot. Uh, so uh, that may have been a spoiler for them more than anything, uh, but for $5 a month, you can join up to the Patreon and you can get that show and hear more of me 
you know, that might be a, a detractor there, but nevertheless, they also have, yeah, some great shows coming up as well. Like you said, Halloween six, I believe, uh, uh, Mothman, the Mothman prophecies, uh, mm. uh, just came out and, uh, and, and many more. Those guys are, are fun. We're on the party network now, uh, Martin, by the way. So you can, you, you're going to have to let your hair down a little bit or your, um, your dad cap. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, what's you don't the, have the little that's left of my hair? How dare you? I'm so disgusted. Oh uh, yeah, as well as the opening shot of Antichrist, I can't wait to hear the reaction to like the last sort of like ten twenty minutes of that film as well, because there's certainly some uh, you could say that you could say that penis is the, the big bill moment for uh, for for this movie as well. Yeah, and the and I the fans is the vagina anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't see that film at the cinema with my dad, but... <laughs> what? Are yeah. you kidding me? My dad uh, wants, my I'm dad surprised that even... The hot indie films. I'm surprised that even went to cinemas. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, this oh, guy... Yeah, we've got, a, we've got like an art house cinema in, in Sheffield, so they always show like Von Trier and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they, it got well-reviewed when it came out, and then we watched it and we were like... Well, that was certainly a film. Anyway, enough spoilers about that because I just can't wait to hear that review. Um, Brandon, where can people read more from you and see your daily insights? Uh, just follow me on uh, on X. We'll call it X, Twitter. Uh, that's not going to be around much longer. Anyway, what's going on? Uh, the Elon Musk <laughs> documentary on... Uh, on PBS next week should be interesting. Uh, the decline of, of 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 that social network. Well, uh, follow me on Threads uh, or Instagram. Uh, Brandon from New Jersey. Uh, the musings of uh, me and my everyday life. Whether <laughs> I find a picture that's funny and <laughs> it's funny to me, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if anyone will get it. But uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it is uh, as Brandon from New Jersey. Uh, hear me putz around about my day and whatnot and my chickens. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. This is fun. I can't wait to episode two. And Dickie, well, what about you? Yeah, just on, on uh, Twitter, uh, at Brandon from, no, that's you, Brandon, uh, at uh, Dickie Bird Media, just one, one word. Uh, I'm going to post actually some, photos and stuff from this uh, oh, awesome. Moxley night too. So um, feel free to, uh, I guess, yeah, follow me on there. Um, same thing on, on Instagram, but uh, yeah, Martin, I know you'll, we'll give you the plugs, but can I ask, cause it's a serious question. It's a shoot question. What are we doing for the next episode? Yeah. Well, well, Richard, we are. <laughs> Richard Avian. We've, uh, yeah, we've not discussed it fully yet, but we were thinking about talking about the uh, Brock Lesnar match, the build-up to that, the Steve Austin podcast, the when Moxley went on and talked about it in depth on the PW Torch, diving into that, you know, what went wrong, how it went wrong, you know, now the what Moxley wanted wagon. to do in the match. Yep. The, yeah, Terry Funk coming in for a, for a one-shot to try and build up Mox for this, uh, you know, the most hardcore match they were ever going to have at WrestleMania. And so that, that should be a lot of fun trying to unpack that one. Especially Mox's, um, I don't know if you've listened to that PW Torch thing, but his um, impressions mm-hmm. of Brock are quite amusing on that one as well. So we'll have to get some <laughs> clips of that and scatter them about the show. But anyway, you can follow me at Bushby01 on X slash Twitter. 
And that is it. Thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next month talking mocks, Brock Lesnar. And remember, eagles don't hunt flies. Have fun, Ambrose. We will catch you next time. Bye.